Hello, my name is Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And we have a very special guest today. And the reason for that guest is that we're doing an episode on all of our hero, Jim Carrey. So we have a Jim Carrey expert. Emily Tex Milling. <laughs> Tex Milling? Why Tex? Because I decided that in the credits of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, someone was named Tex something, and I thought I'd throw that into my name. Not just anyone. It was legendary character actor Randall Tex Cobb. What else was he in? He was in Raising Arizona. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he plays the surly man who uh, has the stolen dog at the beginning of Ace Ventura. <laughs> okay, so Jim Carrey. Why are we doing an episode about him other than we have to fill our can... Con. Oh, yeah, for our grant money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when we started doing this podcast, Will would come over to my house every week. And every single week after we finished recording, I would go, what movie do you want to watch, Will? And he would look at my DVD collection and his finger would stop on one VHS. And he'd go, I want to watch Rubber Face starring <laughs> Jim Carrey. This went on for eight weeks <laughs> and then one day we watch rubber face what was your obsession with this movie okay uh, some of you younger folks might not remember rubber face but when i was a kid jim carrey was like at his height okay he was he was so big 20 million dollars a movie jim carrey was my hero there was he was the hero of everyone on the schoolyard everyone it was the great uniter everyone loved jim carrey and the market was hungry for jim carrey <laughs> products so some unscrupulous video company found this after school special he starred in for i think the cbc in like the early 80s called introducing janet and it's this like 45 minute long piece of shit where he plays a <laughs> where he plays a a uh, struggling comedian who forms a bond with an insecure young woman. Um, and they re-released it on video called Rubber Face <laughs> with a picture of him like making a goofy face on the front cover. And it was such a horrible bait and switch for every child. But I mean, I had it on VHS. You had it on VHS. It was on every grocery store in Emily. Canada had two copies of it to the point that when we found i think that the vhs was not in the sleeve it wasn't it was actually uh airplane so, <laughs> so let's go around the circle and go why is jim carrey important in your life let's emily? start with emily yeah okay well that i mean that that's super easy because i think jim carrey you know because he was so funny i related to him a lot more than i could relate to anybody else on planet earth and he was my hero. I was actually in love with him. And I remember trying to make out with the Dumb and Dumber CD case. <laughs> and, you know, like it was weird. It was a weird time in my life. But I was just so enamored with the guy that I had to see everything he was in. And I would watch it on repeat over and over. Um, I, I mean, I can say the same thing is that like Dumb and Dumber and The Mask and Ace Ventura got more play than anything in my household. Like, it's insane. I cannot imagine being my father, having to <sighs> sit there and watch me watch Ace Ventura for the hundredth time. I actually identify a lot with what Emily just said, because even though I am quite heterosexual, <laughs> I feel that, uh, like, the... the affection i felt for jim carrey as a child like as like a six-year-old like i think freud would have to deal with it there was there, there was something intense about my attachment to jim carrey as a six-year-old i was in love with him well what do you think was it because he had a goofy face was it because he had goofy moves or i think uh the goofy face might have had something to do with it um the uh, jonathan rosenbaum to bring a really high class <laughs> critic into this wrote an essay about ace ventura when it came out he didn't like ace ventura but he said that one of the reasons he thinks it appealed the kids was the fact that ace lived in opposition to the adult world mm. unlike jerry lewis 
who was a, a kind of a misfit who wanted to fit into the adult world. Ace Ventura had this cocky, macho swagger that defied it and created his own rules. So I don't know. I think there's something uh, kids gravitate to him because he's so, yeah, he's grouchoed to everyone else's Margaret Dumont. So Ace Ventura, which is one of the movies we watch for this podcast. That's Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, the Not first to be one. confused with Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Or... The better film. That's not the better uh, film. Oh, you know, having just watched this one again, I'm thinking you might be right. <laughs> I like to jump in here and say that me and Emily watch Ace Ventura uh, of When Nature Calls last Valentine's Day. Does oh. not hold up. <laughs> okay. You know, my memory of that one, I saw Ace Ventura When Nature Calls dressed as Ace Ventura. <laughs> in your household? Uh, no, we, I went with my mom to the theater to see it. I had my, I had her do my hair in a wave and I had a Hawaiian shirt, undershirt. Like, uh, and I think I probably, I probably even went in character. Like, oh, all righty then. Uh, you, you should have seen me. <laughs> So uh, that was a very important movie for me. But I would say that I would, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, as a kid, was probably the funnier movie. And one of those reasons is because it's the one that's a cartoon. Yes. While Ace Ventura, the first one, is, as we were watching it, I said, because we were watching it on Blu-ray, <laughs> the way it was meant to be seen, <laughs> with a little bit of grain uh, in its original aspect ratio. And you can really see that Ace Ventura is the cartoony force in... This I wouldn't say they're grounded by any stretch of the imagination, but they're more real than they are in Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. Yeah, like uh, I, when this movie was made, I heard I saw an interview with Jim Carrey where he said this was like his parody of the hero genre, like Steven Seagal, uh, Sylvester Stallone, that sort of thing. And you know Joseph Campbell. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but the the like the characters in this movie, like at the police station or or the goons that uh, Finkel hires to to steal Snowflake. Uh, wait, 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 what a spoiler! <laughs> don't know what the plot like, of Ace Ventura: Pet Detective is. Uh, well, anyway, those characters feel like they could be in a Stallone movie. But yeah, it, what is uh, what is this movie about? Emily. Say, yeah. Okay. So it's about, oh, I'm being put on the spot now. Um, if this is like too challenging to describe Ace Ventura, I understand. It's so hard. It's so hard to be put on but the spot. But you have to be honest that this is not the one that you watch over and over again, right? No, it's not. That's why. And I, I, I had a really hard time remembering it the same way that you guys did. I would have remembered When Nature Calls much better. Much I remembered better. every single second of this movie. I know. It I all came flowing back. The whole movie was Justin and I were like, Saying, oh, in a minute he's going to say, you know, yeah. holy testicle Tuesday. I think you compared it to Nicolas Cage and Next that we yeah. just knew what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you give a synopsis, Justin? So Ace Ventura is a pet detective. A freelance pet detective. <laughs> he kind of goes from gig to gig. And he gets hired through a bunch of random circumstances <laughs> to find a missing dolphin for a Super Bowl show. Yeah, the Super Bowl, apparently. <laughs> yeah. The the Dolphin, get this, guys. The Dolphin is the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Two weeks before the Super Bowl <laughs> is about to happen, the Dolphin gets kidnapped. The police, they aren't all that concerned about it. They're like, ah, missing Dolphin, who cares? Even though this is the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, it's a big deal. So the NFL, in their desperation, instead of calling... I don't know, Paul McCartney to do their halftime show. Anyone else. Anyone else. Well, you know, they clear that up by saying it's a superstition that the Miami Dolphins, that if they don't have their mascot, then they're going to be in trouble. Right, right. The players are very superstitious. They need, yeah. 
So Ace Ventura goes on a wacky misadventure to find this dolphin, and a lot of transphobic humor oh, comes along with this it. This movie is a hate crime. It is. The last 20 minutes of this movie are, like, so unpleasant and awful. Well, <laughs> this is a question I have to ask the both of you. Did you find this movie funny? This is Jim Carrey at his most pure. And this is the one that really made him a star. Well, right up until it started getting really aggressively transphobic. Yeah, it was hilarious. And I was giggling the whole time because his face is funny and his moves are funny. And then all of a sudden he's acting like he's mentally ill. (laughs) And I'm immediately turned off by the whole situation. I like to point out that was the funniest part when I was a kid. Uh, Okay. Like... When you were a kid. And it, Just to clarify, this is the part where, um, so so Ray Finkel, the f- former Miami Dolphins player who is suspected of kidnapping the dolphin, okay, he broke out of Shady Acres medical facility. So Ace goes to investigate and he disguises himself as somebody uh, who is mentally handicapped. Yes. Is that the correct term? Sure. Um, and he's wearing a tutu and he's, he's I don't as know. over the top as possible. It's, it's like... Not politically correct, mm-hmm. I would say. But isn't political correctness the thing that's oh, really... go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I jumped in the Will Sloan role for a second there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he finds out through investigation that um, Lois Einhorn, the this is a spoiler, by the way, in, in, in case you had, you, <laughs> in case you had you 20 wanna... years to watch this movie, all right? <laughs> uh, he finds out that Lois Einhorn, the head of the Miami Police Department, is in fact... Actually, Ray Finkel, after having undergone gender transition surgery. Now, I don't want this to turn into how did this get made, but we had a <laughs> lot of questions about this plot line. Yeah, so so the Super Bowl, okay, Ray Finkel is out for revenge for the Miami Dolphins because Dan Marino fucked up a move and he got blamed for losing the Super Bowl. Lace is out, Will. Lace is out. <laughs> And so this drove him insane and he went to Shady Acres. But then eight years ago, he broke out. And then in that eight years, he underwent gender transition and he rose to the ranks through the ranks of the Miami Police Department. Yeah, it's insane. But is Jim Carrey funny in this movie? Right. Uh, You thought he was funny. I thought he was funny. I thought he was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. And really, he is the only thing this movie has to offer. This this movie otherwise is is so bad. <laughs> Every single thing about it is terrible. Uh, but and he is working so hard. And in fact, in the last twenty minutes, um, when he's like, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. The, the last twenty minutes, it's as if he knows the movie is running out of gas, and he's like, he's that, like, like he's slop sweat. He's mugging so hard because he knows I'm all this movie has. But yeah, there he was... has a, a writer credit on the film. So oh well, and I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's like, why did this movie take off while his other roles didn't? Because he was on In Living Color. He was in that vampire movie Once Bitten, <laughs> where the whole plot was very confusing for me as a child because it revolves around him having to lose his virginity. Oh yeah, he he has to lose his virginity, but and so he hooks up with this. Uh, Okay, he's out trying to get laid, and he hooks up with this vampire woman played by Lauren Hutton who needs the blood of a virgin. Mm-hmm. And, and then... I think the whole movie, she's just chasing after him, ready to kill him. And then and at the, the very just, end... They, he, he fucks in a coffin. Yeah, that's and right. that's how it ends. But I think that this one... And if we, as we continue to talk about the other Jim Carrey films, specifically The Cable Guy, this is the one where... I think Jim Carrey works the best when he's in that kind of, like you said, he's fighting against society. When he's making crazy faces in something like Bruce Almighty, 
it doesn't have the same impact yeah. because it doesn't really, I'm not going to mean anything. It's probably not the right choice of words. I, I would also say, though, that the opening scene of this movie is sort of like a thesis statement for Ace Ventura because he's playing the, he's pretending to be a UPS guy who's transporting this box um, and he's he's like throwing it down the street. He's consciously fucking it up. It's as if he doesn't even care if people think he really is a UPS agent. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about anyone. Yes, yeah. he's, he's his own man. He's Ace Ventura. And that's what is attractive to him. And that's what makes it funny. Yeah. While in something like The Cable Guy, which, you know, there's that famous Simpsons joke where they go to a planet Hollywood and it's like, there's a script for The Cable Guy. And Homer's like, you almost ruined Jim Carrey's career. All right, Homer's wrong. But Emily, I think this would be a good time before we get to The Cable Guy to just get into, like, how did Jim Carrey come to be? What is his superhero origin story? And in I, other words, you're the one here who's seen the A&E biography of Jim Carrey. I mean, I did too, too back times. in the day, but yes, go ahead. This, this is why Will and I are friends. <laughs> oh, Maybe geez. the only reason we don't know yet. We, we haven't known each yeah. other that long, but... Um, I mean, we quite dislike each other it's otherwise. True. It's true. We are always fighting. Um, so Jim Carrey lived... I th- did it start out he he lived in t- in a bus with his family yeah and then he moved into a tent on his sister's front lawn and then he he had to drop out of high school to get a job as a security guard to pay for his family mm-hmm. and then I kind of lose what happened to him at that point but it picks up again when his dad dies <laughs> what yeah. happens in the middle <laughs> I think his dad probably died really early on because as you'll recall what happened at the funeral <laughs> yeah. You know I know this. Yeah. So he was he was at the funeral and it was raining and I guess it maybe it was his sister or something that turned to him and said it's it's okay to cry and he just didn't want to cry anyway or maybe he let himself cry because the rain was just washing away all of his tears. It was a very emotional time for him. And you know, when I watched that I think I connected very much with Jim Carrey as a human. Yeah. You know? And then when he became an anti-vaxxer, you were like, yes, <laughs> he, yeah. he reflects my politics too. <laughs> I know, I'm so into this. <laughs> uh, but as a comedian, and he became a comedian pr- at a pretty young age, he started as a rich little type impressionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he... Clint Eastwood took him under his wing. Yeah, and you can see him in uh, The Dead Zone. and uh, The Deadpool. Oh yeah, The Deadpool, sorry. Uh, starring Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and he's also in Pink Cadillac, the, yes. the lesser Clint Eastwood film. Doing, I think, an Elvis impersonation in the background right. of one scene. And then he changed his act where uh, he would go on stage without an act, basically. And he would just flail around and like kind of his his whole his whole the whole idea of his act was he would go on stage. and He would just like do crazy things and make it up as he went along. Because he always wanted to be a cartoon. Is that what he said in the That's biography? That's what he said. Well, when he did the mask, he was like, I get to be a cartoon. This is my dream come true. And you know, when he, he rips his head off the pavement, he says, look, Ma, I'm roadkill. I remember. <laughs> that was his like I like to point out moment. that I love the mask as a child, but when I watched it recently, it didn't hold up. Oh. I feel like nothing holds up. <laughs> Age what, mature still what does. What is this world we live in? And then, yeah, the rest was history. He, was, he did some. He did Once Bitten, which failed to rocket him to stardom. And then he was cast on In Living Color as the token white guy, mm-hmm. where he did a variety of uh, great characters. Fire Marshal Bill, for instance. Yep. Uh, and, was, and that's the one where he stuck his hand in the meat grinder. Uh, is it? Well, fire... Oh, God, because like, I've, I've got horrible images going through my head now. Oh, I don't, I don't remember that. I remember the Fire Marshal Bill was he was like the pyromaniac 
fire chief oh. who would always like light himself on fire. Yeah, I remember him in a uniform and he went to a butcher shop and stuck his hand in a meat grinder <laughs> and pulled it out and I just like I lost my shit. I couldn't watch Jim Carrey for a full year after that. That's, wow. I think that's probably why I had to stop watching Jim Carrey everything for so long. When, when did you uh, lose track of Jim Carrey in your life? I don't life? know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe like... Wasn't there a specific year? 13, 14. Well, you said 1999, didn't you? Well, I was just making not, that up. Not a fan of Man on the Moon? <laughs> no, sure. No, I watched that movie many times. I don't know why to this day, but I did watch it. That, really? that movie taught a generation of kids who Andy Kaufman is. <laughs> yeah. Because kids went to that movie thinking, oh, it'll be, this will be fun. Jim Carrey. I'm and... a big R.E.M fan <laughs> yeah right uh, um so the cable guy was a film that came out in 96 96 it was hot off the heels of um uh, batman forever and ace ventura when nature calls and at the time he got paid 20 million dollars which was a record which was a record um soon to be broken by arnold schwarzenegger when he got paid 50 million dollars for batman and robin well deserved <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is a lot from Batman and Robin. <laughs> Do you remember the scene in Batman and Robin when he's uh, uh, when they're at the Gotham Art Museum and there's for his, for some reason there's a giant dinosaur at the museum. Yeah, and he goes, "Who killed? What killed the dinosaur?" The Ice Age. <laughs> I always expect Arnold to go ice to see you in the movie, and he never does. Oh, you insane. know why? Because it's McBain that says that in an episode of The Simpsons. Oh, and so they didn't put it in the script. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, Do you so- remember when he's in prison and and the two guards lead him and he says, "Allow me to break the ice. My name is Freeze. Learn it well, for it will be the sound of your doom." Or so- I just like allow me to break the ice. <laughs> It's like he can't right. help but speak puns. You're listening to the Batman and Robin freeze cast. <laughs> where we just go through all the puns in Batman and Robin. You know, it was about time someone did an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, and I'm glad I did it. So, uh, I was going to say Batman guy. and Robin. <laughs> the Cable Guy. Did you guys find this movie funny when you were a kid? Uh, I liked it as a kid, but not as much as the other ones. Which is It was weird, and it was creepy. Yeah, and I, I would have to say I felt the same way. He acts the exact same way he does in Ace Ventura. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't pull it back at all. If anything, he even plays it bigger. The difference, however, is that in in this one, he actually wants to be part of society and he wants to have a friend. Uh, whereas in Ace Ventura, he doesn't care. He's indifferent to society. Which makes it that much more unsettling. Yes. And um, the film was directed by Ben Stiller, coming off of... Like the Ben Stiller show. show. And like Reality Bites was a movie mm-hmm. he had directed before then. And it's weird because Stiller has such a controlled vision of the film. It almost feels kind of Terry Gilliam-ish at times. I feel like the movie is actually a little bit... Uh, I mean, its place in the marketplace is sort of weird because it's a it's a weird black comedy about obsession. And there aren't a lot of, like, really funny scenes. Uh, well, I mean, Jim but, Carrey is acting funny. Yeah. But, like, the audience, you never feel like they're supposed to be laughing with him yeah. or at him. So so there's that. It, it The plot is sort of like the king of comedy or something like that. But then I think towards the end, it turns into more of a conventional broad, uh, broad comedy. comedy. And, and also, I mean, it was coming in the marketplace at a time when people were expecting a wacky comedy from Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. So when it came out, it was very coolly received. What did you think of The Cable Guy, Emily, when you saw it? Well... I was incredibly creeped out by it, I think. Mm. And, you know, I was I was thinking about this and this cartoony thing. And when I started going red and couldn't remember what I was going to say, um, it's not as quotable as mm-hmm. other Jim Carrey movies. For example, like you could do impressions of Ace Ventura or Dumb and Dumber or The Mask, but you couldn't really do an impression of the cable guy and not feel weird about it. Mm-hmm. 
Unless you yell cable guy. <laughs> I, I did do that. It. How about the scene where Jim Carrey uh, puts his nipple up against the glass in prison? And every, I said that I today. I handle that. <laughs> Emily said she didn't remember. Um, wasn't that in every trailer? It was. Trailer? Yeah. Like, like that just, was some like, good stuff. I don't know. I had a weird thing about nipples when I was a kid, and it just oh, like shit. <laughs> it got me so weirded out. I just couldn't. Meat do grinders, it. nipples, yeah. nipples and meat grinders. Yeah, Is it the why? fact that both men and women had them? Did that? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Don't ask me. Welcome to Freudcast. Uh, I'm your host, Justin. So, I mean, and the last time I watched The Cable Guy, I actually found that it wasn't dark enough. That was the big problem I had with it. But rewatching it today, um, I f- discovered that the fact that it wasn't dark enough was just that much more unsettling. Mm. Because it's like they're playing on a level which really gets under your skin. Let, let's say what the movie is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew Broderick is a uh, normal Joe. Who, he's really unlikable in the movie. I don't know. I think he's kind of white bread. Yeah. Uh, but he was recently uh, or he dumped by his girlfriend or they're, they're on leave and he's moved out. And he gets cable installed by uh, one Jim Carrey mm-hmm. as the cable guy. And uh, the cable guy... Uh, kind of pressures him into a friendship with him because he's very lonely. And then when it becomes clear that Matthew Broderick doesn't want to be his friend, all hell breaks loose. Did you read that originally um, it was going to be Chris Farley that was going to play the cable guy? And it was going to be a wackier movie mm-hmm. than, than it is now. Because Jim Carrey brings a lot of menace to his role that you could feel he would kill Matthew Broderick if things went a little bit wrong. I or himself, right? Yeah. You know, like you could you could really get the sense that he was a character that was much more tortured than previous characters i guess my reaction to his performance seeing it again last night is actually similar to how i felt about it when i was seven years old i felt it was a difficult performance for me to get into like it's so abrasive the rest of the movie you know like ace ventura the rest of the movie is sort of grounded in reality but there's this incredibly um i don't know baroque performance by (laughs) jim carrey at the center of it and incredibly unlikable uh, and over the top in its unpleasantness. And I mean, I can't help but compare it to, you know, Robert De Niro in The King of Comedy playing a similar similar character. Some, uh, somebody who else is a, a maladjusted man who's been raised by TV and is mm-hmm. socially inept and stalks a character. I feel like Robert De Niro's take on the role, which is more subtle, is more effective. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, Jim Carrey is really magnetic in the cable guy. I mean, it would be easy to make this movie with a more creepy and kind of understated performance, like mm-hmm. something like Cape Fear or like he's just like kind of stalking him, but the fact that he's so big is so weird. Yeah. And it's kind of like a weird disconnect with what's going on. Yeah. Especially because it's Jim Carrey. And do you do you think sorry to cut you off. Do you think he knew what kind of movie he was making? Yes. Oh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think they went in knowing exactly like what he's doing doesn't necessarily go for, like, the big laugh moments, so... But, like, even the scene where, like, you know when he plays basketball? And he's, like, ducking the basket, mm-hmm. and, like, is the audience supposed to be roaring with laughter in that scene? I don't think so, no. Yeah. The cast and crew of this movie is kind of interesting. Judd Apatow is one of the writers. Yeah, uh, he supposedly completely rewrote the script, and he didn't get a credit for one of those complex WGA reasons. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, Ben Stiller directed it. And the cast includes uh, future superstars Owen Wilson, Jack Black, Leslie Mann as the girlfriend, uh, Janine Garofalo has a cameo. Bob Odenkirk is there, so is David and, Cross. And, yeah, both of them have, like, one-second cameos. Don't forget uh, Charles Napier. Oh, yeah, the, my favorite <laughs> alt-comedy icon. 
<laughs> of uh, Russ Meyer's fame. Yeah, and Ernest goes to jail. <laughs> we should do an Ernest episode. We're not doing an Ernest okay. episode. There's no way. Come on. So the Cable Guy, people consider it a flop, but it wasn't. It made like a hundred million dollars at the box office worldwide. It made yeah. sixty in America, but I mean, it probably cost sixty w- mm-hmm. when the stars being paid twenty million. Yeah, and also all of his movies were massive, massive hits up to that point. So this one was probably seen as like a lower tier, you think? And it was also not what people were expecting from a Jim Carrey mm-hmm. movie at the time. It it seemed to actually upset people. You could understand if this movie had been released like like an indie film would be now, and Jim Carrey happened to star mm-hmm. in it, but because it was like a big budget blockbuster that was the thing that was the most yeah, released about. in the summer and yeah. it, it, if you read roger ebert's review i think it's a very misguided review but he talks about how he wants to like jim carrey and he thinks it was a fundamental miscalculation to cast him as someone so unlikable so roger ebert just doesn't understand the movie or at he all? didn't want to understand it i guess but it, his review is very i think typical of the reviews at the time so i think it's time that we talk about batman forever <laughs> oh god let's go around i got a lot to say about that movie <laughs> do you Oh, that movie was so important to me as a kid. I had all the Pogs. I had all the McDonald's cups. I have the Pogs somewhere in this apartment. Oh, yeah? Just saying. The glow in the dark? We'll take pictures of it and put it on the show notes. Let's talk about this. The Pogs that I liked were Batman, uh, the Riddler, and Two-Face. The ones with Robin? Eh. The ones with Alfred the Butler or uh, Dr. Chase Meridian? Did not want those. Okay, but Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. Okay, there were two things. These are your two worlds colliding, right? Because we know you love Batman. There were two things I loved when I was six. Batman and Jim Carrey. And when they came together, it was, my head almost exploded. Just like Jim Carrey's head does at the end of Batman Forever. Spoiler. (laughs) I saw that movie in the front row of the movie theater because I wanted to be so immersed in it. I saw, had the VHS wore it out like I don't know. And have you returned to that movie? Because if I oh for sure yeah. If anything I remember Jim Carrey's. I don't think I like Jim Carrey in that movie. And as a Jim Carrey head, I found that very surprising. I I mean I loved him in that movie when I was six. Mm-hmm. Uh, his performance does not hold up. <laughs> At the same time though, watching that movie takes me back to a happy happy time. So I have a lot of residual fondness for that movie, even though it's appallingly bad and let's not forget we're just going through jim carrey's career here because we're never going to do another jim carrey episode well never say never (laughs) arguably the funniest movie of all time dumb and dumber oh so good so that one does hold up that dumb and dumber completely holds up and i think it ties into something that jim carrey has been kind of missing from his career which is he needs to play well-meaning idiots most of the time because in dumb and dumber while he creates a lot of chaos, like he's trying to do the right thing most of the time. That's the problem with Dumb and Dumber too. Is <laughs> him and Jim Carrey are such dicks through the whole movie. They're very mean spirited. Oh, you mean him and um, Jeff, Jeff Daniels. Daniels? Who did I say? Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey. Oh yeah, yeah. If there were two Jim Carrey, <laughs> oh that would be dream come true. <laughs> and uh, as I said, I've already given my thoughts on the mask. Emily, what are your favorite Jim Carrey movies? Uh, definitely Dumb and Dumber, and probably The Mask. But if we're talking about like when I was ten then those would be my favorite Jim Carrey movies. Mm. Fun fact, Jim Carrey had the cap removed from his tooth for Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> that was a Just... Disney adventure fact. I, oh, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> reading in the Dumb and Dumber issue of Disney Adventure. Okay, I had the Ace Ventura When Nature Calls issue of, uh, uh, yep. of Disney Ride Adventure. Ride the two crocodiles. Yeah, yeah, and uh, th- there was a uh, Jim Carrey trivia contest in that where if, if you won it, the prize is included Jim Carrey's actual costume from the movie and you could have a walk-on role in The Mask 2 which at the time was scheduled for production I don't know if 
whoever won that. Did you enter the Jim Carrey contest? I don't think I did, but I should have. Yeah. I, think... I, I could be in The Mask, too, right now. <laughs> you mean Son of the Mask starring Jamie Kennedy? That's the thing. Yeah. When Son of the Mask was made, do you think they honored the Disney Adventure contest? <laughs> I don't think so. If I wanted, I would have taken them to court. <laughs> They're like, you better put me in Son of the Mask. And you'd be like, whoa, like in the <laughs> background or something like that. Yeah, I would be the new Jim Carrey. So what happened to Jim Carrey, guys? We've talked about uh, how our lady. interest has kind of waned as the years go by. I can say that Bruce Almighty was one of the first times where I was like, man, he's really not funny in this movie. Yeah. Maybe The Grinch. Oh, The Grinch was oh, one. Oh, yeah. When I was sitting in the audience being like, oh, what is this? I was so excited for that movie, and it just didn't didn't do it. No. And what about The Majestic um, uh, yeah. I didn't see that in a the theater. I waited for for video. I think we missed a very important Jim Carrey uh, role too. The one in Liar Liar. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, I, that was, was great. I saw that at uh, two birthday parties as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I feel so compelled to quote everything right now. No, go no, for it. No, yeah, do it. Do it. I, I want to hear it. <laughs> the pen is blue. <laughs> the pen is blue. <laughs> <laughs> I've had better. <laughs> It was me! <laughs> Something Justin yells every time we're in an elevator. Because <laughs> well, I fart every time. Um, and I think, again, Liar Liar is a movie that works on his persona because he can be really wacky. And that one is choked in, like, syrup. Like, oh, yeah. And schmaltz. Like because a- he, yeah, he's like a divorced dad who has to do good by his kid and his kid wishes that he wouldn't lie. And, ugh. and so you don't think there's any uh, funny Jim Carrey performance after, like, 1999? Oh, boy. Well, Bruce Almighty has some funny scenes. Uh, uh, I guess. Uh, I think I Love You, Philip Morris, his little scene mm-hmm. film from a few years ago. I think that's a really solid movie. Number 23. That's, Hilarious. That is very funny. <laughs> I think that, you know, Jim Carrey, you know, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, those movies bring the larfs. But later on, it got to be all about these big special effects movies, Lemony Snicket mm. or Bruce Almighty or A Christmas Carol. Where, you know, it's all, they're, they're these family comedies and it's all about big special effects. And I, w- I want to see Jim Carrey do the larf. So I want to see him talk out of his butt. I don't want to see him be a cartoon character, be a literal cartoon character. So do you think that like Jim Carrey's, because what obviously happened was Jim Carrey went like, I don't want to be this guy anymore. Well, he made some very uh, aggressive bids to be a dramatic actor, mm-hmm. notably The Truman Show and the Andy Kaufman biopic Man on the Moon. And let's not forget Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Which is great. Yeah, yeah, but he, there's no Jim Carreyness really in that role, or it's things that we associate with the comedy of Jim Carrey. Well, as Emily pointed out, it, it's the side of Jim Carrey that cried at his dad's funeral because it was raining. I mean, it's that Jim Carrey that we see. <laughs> and I think... It's a little harsh, but I, I, I don't know. I thought he was pretty good in that. Oh, movie. he was great. No, he's great. He's in that great. Movie. I don't think anyone would deny that Jim Carrey is bad in Eternal Sunshine. Of the Spotless no, Spotless. They, they they wouldn't deny that he's great. Yeah, they wouldn't deny that he was great in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But I think that movie also works because you're bringing your Jim Carrey baggage to that film i guess but i don't know i think i think it would be just as good if you didn't know who he was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so if like my mom watched it she was yeah. like yeah your mom doesn't like jim carrey i actually not watch that i actually saw eternal sunshine spotless of mine with my mother in the theater when i was sick that week from high school or whatever and you were like oh boy jim carrey let's have a laugh <laughs> no i think that it probably ended and she was like mm, really good movie and she had no idea what had happened in that mm-hmm. film we actually saw um, the classic film, Burt Wonderstone, which co-stars Jim Carrey. <laughs> I saw it too. And my mother did not like it because she said, I don't like magicians because 
I don't know what they're doing or how they're doing it. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, that movie, I think, kind of uh, kind of uh, pulls the curtain back on magicians, don't you think? It kind of kind of puts them in their place and shows who they really are. Um, and other than that, I can't really think of any like Jim Carrey roles that he's done. In, I mean, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Didn't like, see it. Oh, I saw that. How'd you Did like you? it? Yeah. So don't watch it. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. Like, is he desperate? Is he... I read an article online that someone wrote that Jim Carrey tries to externalize his beliefs. And he said this before, like, if I do positive roles and I sing positively, then good things will happen to me. Do you remember that he disowned Kick-Ass 2, a movie that he's in, just Mm -hmm. before it came out? Because uh, he tweeted that he made the movie before the Sandy Hook massacre, and after that he could not condone that level of violence. Mm Mm-hmm. I also, I also haven't seen Kick-Ass 2. It's fine. I mean, Jim Carrey's okay in it. Yeah. It's just like, are we... We always have this conversation usually at the end when we talk about someone that's still working. It's, are we expecting them to return to the things that they've done before? I think that there's like a really weird role. He's in uh, the new film directed by the woman who oh, made A Girl Walks Home yeah. Alone that night. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the last 15 or so years of his career have clearly been him balancing uh, these passion projects like... I love you, Philip Morris, or the number 23, for better or worse, <laughs> with more conventional studio comedies. Something like Mr. Popper's Penguins is such a, or Yes Man. These movies are so calculated to keep him viable as a star. I think it would, and I don't know, he's in his 50s. Mm-hmm. I think it's unreasonable to expect him to keep being. So we shouldn't expect a Jackie Chan, Jim Carrey project in the near future? Well, I I would love that, but I think it's unreasonable to expect Jim Carrey to be the same uh, whirling dervish that he was (laughs) as a 30-something. Yeah. I I do think, though, that he has lots of talent, and I hope to see him in good movies that aren't necessarily Yes Man or Mr. Bobber's Penguins. Like No Man or... What's No Man? The the sequel to Yes Man. Oh, oh, God, that sounds so dark. (laughs) No Man? I didn't hate Yes Man. No, it's just... It actually made me say yes to a lot more. <laughs> including Maybe this podcast. Jim Carrey was in and I was like, yeah, you know, yes, I'll watch this movie. And then I yeah. said yes to a lot of other really weird shit. But Were yeah. you like him and you learned uh, Korean and you uh, did <laughs> I all did. the things? No, I did. No, I didn't. Oh. But I did do a lot of weird things after watching that movie. <laughs> oh. I'm actually... I, I hope you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually uh, wanted in 14 states. Because uh, <laughs> I said yes (laughs) so what are your final thoughts on jim carrey emily i think he will forever rest in my memory (laughs) i was gonna say rest in peace (laughs) he'll he'll just stay there in my memory as something that i visit when i want a giggle but not necessarily a full hour and a half long film uh except for dumb and dumber except for dumb and you can watch dumb and dumber any anytime don't watch the extended cut though he's too mean in that version I would watch Ace Ventura again. <laughs> I just love it so much. You know, it's like, it's a part of me. Yeah, like, it's funny because last time I watched Ace Ventura, I hated it. I thought it was dumb and like none of the jokes worked. This time, I laughed. Yeah. You make a you lot laughed, of funny faces. You laughed until you didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like those last 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for doing this podcast, Mrs. Emily. And hey, would you like to plug anything? Yes. You should listen to my podcast called Her Name Is about creative women in Toronto. Featured on iTunes. Mm-hmm. All right. And is it her name is podcast.com? Yes, it is. Well, go visit it, folks. It's <laughs> a great, it well-produced podcast, unlike this one where we just record ourselves for half an hour yeah. and then put it on the internet. Like, who even gives a shit about this? <laughs> what are we Lots of people do. <laughs> what are we doing next week? Well, we're going to continue with our CanCon 
by watching the, I guess, is it the ultimate Canadian director? Guy Madden. Oh, I thought you were going to say whoever did Strange Brew. <laughs> Um, no, Guy Madden. What movies are we going to do? I actually don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we picked... Was it the saddest music in the world? Sure, and, and My Winnipeg? And My Winnipeg, All yeah. right, great. And, you know, if people... He actually doesn't have that many feature films. I think he has six or seven, maybe a little bit more than that. All right. He did a lot of short films, so we're probably going to be talking about most of them. Because the worst... I think people consider the worst ones he made were Keyhole and... And that's pretty good. Twilight of the Ice Nymphs. Okay, haven't seen it. All right, well, that's where we're going to be talking. I hope this episode was filled with Jim Carrey-like laughs. This this episode was smoking. <laughs> Brought to you by Crippling Nostalgia. <laughs> My name is Justin McClue. Emily Tex Milling. Uh, just Will Sloan. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.